0: What would you do if this man knocked on your door and asked to come in? I don't want to just immediately profile him, but he doesn't look like he's from around here. Uh, Dark skin, olive color, dark hair, dark eyes. Uh, He looks like he may be a little rough around the edges, probably hasn't had the easiest life. Be honest. Would you be skeptical of this man? In 2001, this image was designed for the BBC by a forensic anthropologist, and he made this 3D representation based off of an actual skull found near the region of Galilee. They are suggesting that this is likely what a Jewish man in the first century would have looked like. And they're not saying this is Jesus, but this should give you a pretty good idea of what Jesus may have looked like. Uh, not quite the Caucasian white robe, blue sash Jesus we grew up seeing on the coloring pages, is it? We're going through Isaiah together as a church, and Isaiah says in chapter 53 there was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. We often think of Jesus as this dashing, contemplative, beautiful, blue eyed person, uh, but actually, most people in those days, by the time they were 30 years old, were missing some teeth because they didn't have dental care or good hygiene. Jesus was a normal person, just like everybody around him. He's a normal person who was probably missing some teeth. (laughs) Kind of a unique thought about Jesus, isn't it? We know that by the end of his adult life, Jesus was basically a homeless wanderer. He grew up in the podunk city of Nazareth in a house familiar with poverty And in the world's eyes, Jesus didn't graduate from the right school. He didn't come from the right place. I mean, Galilee, sheesh. He didn't have political approval. He didn't hang with the right crowd or say the right things. And those who did rub shoulders with him usually scoffed at him, despised him, rejected him, made fun of him. Most of them ignored him. What would you have done with this man? What would you have done with Jesus? You see, many of us will build our lives around these foundational questions. We ask them all life long. Uh, what am I gonna be when I grow up? Who will I marry? Where will I live? Where will I work? How will I invest my money and my time? When will I retire? And those are good, fine questions to ask, but ultimately, only one question matters. When we come to the end of our lives, I'm convinced that the only question we may have to answer is this one. What did you do? with Jesus. Because you can't do nothing with Jesus. If you ignore him, that's as good as rejecting him. If you explain him away, you're saying that he's a liar and he wasn't really who he said he was. So what will you do with Jesus? You can't do nothing about Jesus. He's a fork in the road, one way or the other. You can either reject him or you can follow him, and there is no other alternative. Open your Bibles with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 8. Cole, go ahead and come on up here. As a church, we're in the middle of our Christmas series called Unwrapping Christmas, and we're exploring what the prophet Isaiah has to tell us about Jesus, the greatest Christmas present any of us have ever gotten. And last week, we unwrapped the gift of Jesus the branch. And even though Isaiah lived about 700 years before Jesus, he tells us all these beautiful facets of who this coming Savior would be. And so go ahead and unwrap this present, Cole. Today, we're going to explore the gift of Jesus, the drum roll, please well done. Jesus the stone. Jesus the stone. Thank you, Cole. You can go ahead and set that down right there. I wasn't strong enough to get it out of the box. Cole, you rock. Get it? Uh, I appreciate the help. I don't take it for granted. Get it? (laughs) Don't laugh at that. That was pitiful. Let's take a look today at just what kind of a stone Jesus is, because Jesus the stone means three things. Don't freak out. We're going to spend a lot longer on the first thing than we will on thing two and thing three. So it's going to take us a while to get there. I promise we will get you out of here today by at least two or three this afternoon. Before we jump into Isaiah chapter eight, let me set the scene for you. God's people, the nation of Israel, have split into two nations. There's Israel to the north and Judah to the south. And Isaiah is living and prophesying in Judah, the southern kingdom. But the northern kingdom, Israel, is about to attack Judah, the southern kingdom. And the king of Judah, his name is Ahaz, is scared. So he decides he wants to make an alliance with the evil empire of Assyria to the north. He wants to protect himself. But Isaiah says, hey, don't do that. Trust God instead. That's enough. Uh, Let's use an example. It's like this. Let's say that Avon and Plainfield were once united as the people of God. But then Avon and Plainfield split up. Uh, Plainfield to the south, Avon to the north. And Avon is getting ready to invade Plainfield and take over. And the mayor of Plainfield is really nervous, so he decides to call Chicago to come help him out. (laughs) But Isaiah is saying, don't call Chicago. You can trust God. God. He'll protect you. But the king of Judah decides to make an alliance with Assyria anyway, because he's scared. To which God responds in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 13 and 14. He says this, the Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear. He is the one you are to dread. He will be a holy place for both Israel and Judah. He will be a stone that causes people to to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So God basically says here, hey, if you trust me, I'll be your sanctuary. My presence will be here and I will be your refuge. But if you don't trust me, oh, I'll still be here. But I'll be a stone you trip over because you didn't trust me. So that's our first hint at what Isaiah is referring to by this stone. Jesus is a stumbling stone stone he's a stumbling stone now turn with me to isaiah chapters 28 29 and 30 that's where we're going to spend the rest of the day together and we see in these chapters that sure enough god was right after assyria helps judah defeat the northern kingdom of israel assyria just decides to head on down and wipe out judah too so much for that alliance that they had And so now the people of Judah want to make an alliance with Egypt to help fight against Assyria because they didn't learn from the last time they made an alliance with an evil pagan empire instead of trusting God. So it's like this. Chicago comes down to help Plainfield. And Chicago beats up on Avon. But then they decide, hey, while we're here, we might as well get Plainfield too. So Chicago's getting ready to come take over Plainfield. And Plainfield decides, oh my goodness, what are we going to do? We can't trust God. Let's reach out to the evil pagan empire of Mooresville for help. (laughs) I didn't didn't mean that how it sounded. Sorry, guys. (laughs) Bottom line, the people have turned away from God. God. Oh, they think that they're safe from Assyria because of their alliance with Egypt. But God warns them what happens when they don't trust. In Isaiah 28, 15, he says, be careful. You're building your life on a shaky foundation if you do that. Chapter 30, verses 1 through 3 here, he says, Woe to the obstinate children, declares the Lord. To those who carry out plans that are not mine, forming an alliance, but not by my spirit heaping sin upon sin, who go down to Egypt without consulting me, who look for help to Pharaoh's protection, to Egypt's shade for refuge. But Pharaoh's protection will be to your shame. Egypt's shade will bring you disgrace. Well, here's a sneak peek. The people do desert God and they do get wiped out and eventually sent into exile. And they are so calloused to God from their disobedience that eventually when God does send someone to save them named Jesus, they don't even recognize him. And oftentimes along the way, it was a long journey getting to that point. And along the way, oftentimes they looked like they were obeying God, but inwardly they trusted themselves more than him. Isaiah chapter 28, nine, verse 13 says, the Lord says, these people come near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips but their hearts are far from me. And church, I wonder if we are sometimes in danger of that same thing. We can come to church, we can go through the motions, but are you really trusting God and living the way that he is calling you to? Or are you just trusting yourself? Because the question of Christmas is this, what will you do with Jesus? Will you surrender completely to him and repent of your sin and allow him into your weakness to rescue you? Or will you still pretend like you have it all together? Too proud to be broken, too self-sufficient to admit that you can't do it on your own. What is your foundation Are you building your life on Jesus, knowing that he is your only hope? Or are you building your life maybe on your family or your good works or your money or your career? Maybe you are making an ungodly alliance. Maybe you've allied yourself with with, with a relationship that you know you shouldn't be in because it doesn't glorify God or an addiction that you keep feeding or anger problem that you refuse to get help with. Or maybe you're cutting corners to get ahead at work because your foundation is your career. The people of Judah thought that they had a firm foundation to build their lives on. I mean, they could count the number of military divisions and chariots and warriors that would come to their aid because Egypt was their ally. And that seemed like a firm, reliable foundation. Certainly better than trusting God. I mean, he's not predictable. You can't even see him. That just seems, well, weak. And when Jesus, the stone this rock came. He looked, well, weak. Really? Our deliverer is a baby? People, I have a baby in my house. About the only thing he delivers is diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding me, God? This is what you sent? No, no, I can't buy that. And yet when this baby Jesus is born and his parents take him to the temple to be dedicated, there's a man named Simeon who comes up and he prophesies to Mary over this little boy. And he says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel. From the very beginning, Jesus is a stumbling stone. We see it even in the Christmas story. You guys remember the evil King Herod, right? He had a rock hard heart and he rejected the baby Jesus. He even tried to kill him. He stumbled over the stone. But there were others who came with soft hearts, the wise men. They came to worship him, and they found life, and they found joy. From the very beginning, Jesus is a stone of stumbling. He's a stumbling stone. And the people stumbled on this stone because, well, Jesus wasn't what they expected. And so they rejected him. Now, to us, the name Jesus is special and beautiful. But back then, it was a common name like Jim or Joe or John. And when Jesus comes to his hometown of Nazareth and he declares himself the fulfillment of prophecy, this promised Messiah, come to save his people, his hometown people, they stumbled. They rejected him. Him, they said. Isn't he the woodworker's son from down the street? I wiped that kid's nose when he was little. I worked with his brother. His sister was in my wedding. Him, not this kid. No way. He's an average Joe. He's one of us. Just one of us. Besides, Jesus said crazy things just too hard to believe. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven. What? You must be born again? Jesus, how do you expect me to do that? If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, then you can have no part of me. Jesus, what are you talking about? That sounds a little odd. And Jesus, he told stories and he talked in parables and riddles and symbols. And even the people who did follow him, his disciples, sometimes had to pull Jesus aside and say, hey, we don't know what you're talking about. So for most of the people then, if you would have asked them the question, what did you do with Jesus... They might have said that they were intrigued by him, amused by him, entertained by him. They liked to see the miracles. Oh, they liked Jesus. But when it came time to actually follow him, to obey him, to reorient their lives around him, well, that was just too much to ask. They liked doing things their way. And so they stumbled over Jesus, the stone. They rejected him. Because Jesus didn't do what they thought he was going to do, what they wanted him to do. He didn't revolt against the Roman assert himself politically. He did not lead a rebel army in a revolution to make Israel great again. In fact, Jesus did just the opposite. He got himself killed. What kind of a savior gets himself crucified? That's foolishness. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 23 But we preach Christ crucified, a savior who dies? A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. They did not make room for the stone in their lives. They left him out, and so they stumbled. And today, people still stumble. I'm convinced that there are two kinds of people in the world. And if you come to my house in the middle of the night, I can show you those two kinds of people. I am the first kind of person. When I am wandering around my house in the dark, I am cautious I'm slow. I'm methodically feeling around for things to grab so that I can make my way gently over to the nearest light switch and illuminate the situation. My wife, however, is the second kind of person. She likes to come in like a wrecking ball. She is totally confident. She just barrels and charges right into the blackness with no regard for personal safety or what might be there. She's just totally fearless, plugging on right ahead into the dark. And I'm I'm not making this up. When we come into our house in the dark of night, it's Rebecca who goes in first to flip on the light switches for little old wimpy Luke. (laughs) I'm telling you, if we ever have a robber, I'm sending her to check it out. And in our house right now, we have this beautiful little baby boy, Judah Matthew. He's four weeks old right now. And babies are this wonderful, amazing thing. I can remember when I saw the baby there in the doctor's arms, I thought, wow, he looks just like me. And the doctor said, that's his bottom. (laughs) Oops. In truth, Judah Matthew is the spitting image of his mama. He's needy like his dad, but he's sweet and he's beautiful like his mom. Spitting image of Rebecca. When I say he's the spitting image, I mean he is the spitting image, okay? So in the middle of the night, when when Judas, or Judas, I call my son Judas. Good grief. (laughs) Don't tell my wife. (laughs) When Judah spits up in the middle of the night, or when he wakes up crying, I roll over Rebecca and I say, babe. I will do the chores for the next 30 years if you will take this one. (laughs) But it is my turn, so I get out of bed in the dark, and I stumble across the room, and on the way, I stub my toes on the chair I left in the middle of the floor, and I trip over the clothes hamper that I was supposed to put away the day before. Because when you're living in the dark, you tend to stumble over things that you have not made a home for. So what will you do with Jesus? Will you make a home for him? He's the only one who can turn the light on in your life. But if you remain in the dark, if you refuse to bring him in and build your life on him, you will stumble over him and it will not be pretty. And there are some of you in the room today who are not building your lives around Jesus and you are setting yourself up to stumble. Why? Why do we do that? Why do people stumble? Well, I think it's for a lot of reasons. It could be several. Maybe, maybe you stumble because you disbelieve. We live in a culture of people who want a personalized spirituality. Little bit of this, little bit of that. There's no one way to heaven. But Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And for a lot of people, that's hard to buy. And maybe you stumble because you doubt. You want God to prove himself beyond the shadow of a doubt before you will follow him. And God does answer a lot of our questions, but he's not going to answer every little question. I do believe that Christianity is the only solid intellectual foundation for life. And I do believe that God has given us sufficient evidence for faith, but it still takes faith. So maybe you doubt. Maybe you stumble because you're comfortable. And maybe you think that Jesus would be just like you, living the suburban middle-class American life. But if Jesus were in plain field this holiday season, I don't know where he would be. But my guess is that it would be surprising and controversial and scandalous. And he'd probably be talking to the people that you don't want to talk to. He'd probably be hanging out with people that you feel uncomfortable around. And Jesus might be pushing you to do the same thing. And for some people, that's just a little too much. Jesus' own cousin, John the Baptist, looked at what Jesus was doing and was thinking, Jesus, I don't think that's what the Messiah is supposed to do. And you know what Jesus said in response? He said, blessed is the one who does not stumble on account of me. Or blessed is the one who's not offended by me, another translation says. Maybe you stumble because you delay. That's part of the problem in Judah that Isaiah points out. Back in chapter 28, Isaiah calls the people drunkards and scoffers. They think that they are immune from the coming storm. Oh, sure, maybe they'll follow God someday, but right now they need to do this their way. And maybe some of you have that in the back of your mind. You've had this nagging sensation that it's time to give your life over to Jesus, but you've been putting it off. Some other time, not right now, I'm too busy, I don't have enough time, I want to keep doing it my way for a little while longer. Do not delay. Because Judgment Day will be here, none of us know when, and when it comes, it will only matter what you decided to do with Jesus. Uh, Maybe you stumble because you ignore. You ignore the fact that, frankly, you're a wretched sinner and you have no hope on your own. You think that you can do enough good stuff, be a good enough person, say the right words to get to heaven. But Paul writes about people like this in Romans chapter nine, verses 32 and 33 saying, they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. As it is written, see, I lay in Zion a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And the one who believes in him will never be put to shame. If you try to earn your way to heaven by being good enough, you are ignoring the grace of God and you will stumble over Jesus the stone at the judgment day because you can never be good enough on your own. But the hope is, just like Paul says, if you believe, you'll be safe. So whatever your reason for stumbling is, all of us need to have what one person calls a Simon Cowell moment. You guys know Simon Cowell, right? If you've watched American Idol, you know what I'm talking about. There's always this one poor guy who comes into American Idol, and he belts his heart out singing Justin Bieber or Bon Jovi or something, and he can't carry a tune in a bucket. And I'm thinking, brother, I'm so thankful that your mother loved you, but she needed to tell you that you cannot sing. (laughs) And so Simon has to come in and crush this guy's dreams, and he says, I'm sorry, but that was horrible. You are not Aretha Franklin. You cannot sing. So church, here's your Simon Cowell moment. God is saying to us through Isaiah that you cannot earn your way to heaven. Isaiah chapter 64 verse six talks about all those good things that you think you've done that'll be good enough to get you into eternal life. Well, Isaiah 64 six says that all of us have become like one who's unclean and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf And like the wind, our sins sweep us away. You are far worse than you have any idea. Your good deeds are like filthy rags. That phrase there, filthy rags, is actually the words that they would use to refer to what women would wear during menstruation. The best works that you can do are still sinful, still gross, still nasty and revolting. You need Jesus. You can't do it on your own. The gospel is this you are more sinful than you could ever imagine but you are more loved than you ever dared to hope. So what will you do with Jesus? Will you ignore him and keep thinking that you're a good enough person or will you accept his grace to cover over your sin? Unfortunately, for most people, Jesus is a stumbling stone. But for those of us who believe, Jesus Christ is our foundation stone. That's the second thing. He's our foundation stone. What will we do with Jesus? We will build our lives on him and we will not be shaken Isaiah chapter 28, verse 16 says, So this is what the sovereign Lord says See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. In other words, we don't ever have to fear God's judgment when Christ is our foundation. I have a friend who's a retired policeman, and he says, When you're always ready, you never have to get ready. So, are you ready? Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 6 through 8 for in scripture it says see i lay a stone in Zion a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame now to you who believe this stone is precious but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall they stumble because they disobey the message In other words, when we build our lives on Christ, we're safe. It matters what you build your life on. Jesus tells this story about foundations for life in Matthew chapter 27. At the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he tells this story. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rains came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When you build your life on a firm foundation, you will be able to stand against the storm, and the storms of life will come. Financial struggles Marriage problems, addictions, betrayal by friends, exhaustion, health trouble, the death of a loved one, the list goes on and on and on. The storms of life will come. Your house will be tested. But actually, when the Jewish audience would have first heard Jesus tell this story, they wouldn't have thought of the storms of life like we would. Instead, they would see this storm as symbolic of the coming judgment of God. They knew that when Jesus talked about a storm battering a house, he was referring to God judging a person's life. So if you build your life on a foundation of good works or money or popularity or your success, then it'll be like quicksand under your feet. My bank account always seems to spring a leak at Christmas time. I'm sure glad I'm not building my life on that. We will all stand before God one day. And on that day, the only foundation that'll stand is Jesus Christ. He's our sure and steady foundation. He's our rock of ages, our bedrock. So what will you do with Jesus? Will you make him your foundation stone? Based off of how you answer that question, he's either a stumbling stone or a foundation stone. But thirdly, Jesus is a smashing stone, a smashing stone. Look at this other story, this parable that Jesus tells in Matthew chapter 21. He says, once there was a farmer who set out a peach orchard and built a fence around it, bought some equipment, and put up a packing shed. Then he rented it to some sharecroppers and left. When the peach picking time came, he sent his workers to the croppers to get his share of the fruit. But the croppers took his workers and beat one of them, killed another, and stoned the other. So he tried again, this time sending more important workers than before, but the croppers treated them the same way. Finally, he sent his son, thinking that surely they would respect him. But when the croppers saw the son, they got together and said, hey, there's the old man's boy. Let's kill this cat and take over the estate. So they grabbed him and dragged him out of the orchard and murdered him. Jesus tells this story. And if you listen to Steve's sermon last week, you'll remember that God is a gardener. So God is the farmer in this story. I'll give you three guesses on who the son is. And the workers that were sent to collect the farmer's dues, those are the prophets, people that God sent to the people to bring them back to God. God sent prophets like Isaiah to try to get the people to turn back from him, but the people killed the prophets. Isaiah himself, this guy that we're studying this month, was killed by being sawed in half. So God sent his son, but he was rejected and killed too. So then Jesus tells us the rest of the story here in Matthew 21. He says, therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those wicked tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, they replied, and he will rent the vineyard to other tenants who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, That the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. If you have rejected God the gardener and Jesus his son, Jesus the stone, then you will stumble on the stone and you will be smashed by the stone. There's another prophet from the Old Testament, a guy named Daniel, who once interpreted a dream for a pagan king. And this pagan king had built his life on a foundation of power and self-gratification. It was a foundation that would not stand. And in this king's dream, an enormous, beautiful, massive statue with feet of clay was standing. But then a rock came and struck that statue and smashed it to pieces. And that rock is Jesus. And Jesus the original rolling stone, will smash whatever is not built on him. The day will come when foundations all over the world will be shaken and broken and smashed to pieces, except what is built on Jesus, for only what is built on Christ will stand. So what will you do with Jesus? On Christ the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And if you're with me, If that's true for you, if you're building your life on him, then the reality that Jesus came at Christmas time and that his presence is here with us now and that he's going to be coming back later to judge the living and the dead, that reality is comforting for us who have built our lives on him. But if you're building your life on something else, then the reality of Christ's presence now and his pending return should make you squirm. Because the gardener of last week sent us his son. And he will return and he will ask us, what did you do with Jesus? And the only right answer is to trust him. Jesus Christ died. We killed him. And he took the punishment that we deserved. And he absorbed God's wrath so that we would not have to be touched by the judgment of God. Jesus the stone died And nothing is more lifeless than a stone. He was laid in a stone grave and his heart was stone cold. But on that third day, his heart began to beat again and the warm blood of life coursed through his veins and the stone was rolled away from the grave and Jesus the stone emerged alive. And now when we build our lives on him, trusting him alone to save us, he brings our rock hard hearts to life. So if the stone needs to be rolled away in your heart, if the rock hardness of your heart needs to be softened so that you will not stumble and be smashed by Jesus the stone, then come now and build your life on him. What will you do with Jesus? Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you so much for coming. That you would come to be among us. God, you're amazing. And Jesus, we are grateful that you alone are strong. You're our foundation that will last. And because of your gift on the cross and the resurrection, if we build our lives on you, Jesus, we're protected from the judgment of God. And I'm grateful for that because I deserved it. And yet you took it on my behalf. And I pray now for my brothers and sisters that you'd encourage them where they need encouraged and that if there are any here who are building their lives on a shaky foundation, that you would convict them and bring them to you. We love you, King Jesus. It's in your powerful name that we pray, amen.